Welcome to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking us out. This show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us and diving into the stories that they not only created but lived as well. So join us as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. Today we're going to talk more about Neil Gaiman because how can you talk about Neil Gaiman for only one hour? You need at least two. We dive a little bit more into the books that he's written, hopefully giving you an idea of what you're in for if you decide to jump on that G-Man train. That didn't sound right. I'm not happy that I said those words. The, the Neil Gaiman train. That's better, I guess. I do go off on a tangent to thank people for following us on Instagram. And if you want to do that, you can do that by following us. <laughs> it's that simple. Or you can search for us, Lewis and Lovecraft on Instagram. As well, I go off hard on American Gods in this episode, guys. So this is your spoiler warning. Um, just so you know, I, I don't want to ruin it for you, but I, I have some opinions. This is the second part of a two-part series on Neil Gaiman, so if you want to hear more about his comic books and early life, you'll want to check out episode one. Let's get started. So I was listening to all the beginnings of our episodes, <laughs> yeah. like just listening to if I've ever done a straight beginning, No. like not joking around. No. And I realized that I have not. No. I have messed up every single intro that we've had. Why would we want to start doing a smooth job now? <laughs> no, that would be that'd be so not us. Yeah. The, my favorite one was where I accidentally hit Amy in the knee. <laughs> I think that was our Tim Burton episode. Uh-oh. That was a fun one. What? Yeah, I hit Amy in the in the knee. This is oh. news to her, apparently. Yeah, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, other voice. There's someone else hanging out with us here. Hi. Who Hi. is this? I've never met this person. No. I only know people that own and operate the book nook that we currently record our podcast in. <laughs> that would be Amy, right? Yeah. Right? Amy's the sole proprietor. <laughs> She's actually running the shop at the moment. She is actually. She's doing what we say she normally does. As a joke. <laughs> and she's proving but, us wrong by doing it for real. And she's running the shop because Megan, the actual sole proprietor. <laughs> well, I was just jealous, so I made her work today yeah. so I could come play. Yeah, <laughs> Megan Waterman, who is probably my third favorite person in the world oh, i'm gonna go wow. with that. Yeah. wow you know how much time i spend here like <laughs> i come here to take conference calls sometimes well we do have a lot of fun here yeah oh my goodness amy <laughs> sorry she's <laughs> legit running the shop and causing a chaos behind us it's not on fire yet though so megan can yeah. stay on the show megan <laughs> usually keeps it really quiet in the background but you just, know, saying. just saying just saying I gave her a really noisy job. <laughs> she did. Megan move told her to get the chairs these metal out. Metal chairs, but be quiet. <laughs> Quietly move metal chairs. I it's feel like challenge. that's the sort of thing that they'd give to some Greek mythology or maybe Norse mythology. Oh, oh! <laughs> that was nice harmony there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's because we're doing Neil Gaiman part two today. <laughs> and he loves mythology and wrote a book called Norse Mythology. So yeah. Yeah. that's okay. why Tyler's joke segue yeah. made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Not planned at all. Not not even a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited about Neil Gaiman part two, mostly because I did 
almost no research on Neil Gaiman <laughs> after la- the last episode. I focused solely on reading his works. And by that, I mean one piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a start. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, I'm excited to let you guys just do your own podcast now and just cut me out of the whole the whole thing. Megan um, is subbing in for Tyler today is yeah. what Tyler is saying. <laughs> Which is a great joy. And Megan actually did her research and read the Neil Gaiman bio- or biography. I almost said biology, which would be totally no, different. Yep, that's yeah, totally We don't want to like dissect him. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's making a face. <laughs> and I skipped all of the comic book parts of that book. So yeah. that's fine. Tyler did his Sandman rant I can, last time. I, did, I got a little aggressive about it. I know I did. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, quick shout out to all the people who made it so that we can have a hundred followers on Instagram. Oh, uh, yes. That happened today as of recording today. Um, super excited. Thank you guys so much for um, just supporting us. Even if you don't listen to our show, I guess like that'd be <laughs> weird, but I totally get it. Um, uh, but there's, there's a lot of shows that I've been reaching out to um, in, in an effort to try and get more followers you know i've tried to communicate more with other people on instagram i guess that's a thing that you should do you're being one of those people yeah um and i've started listening to a lot i actually refreshed all of my my podcasts that i listened to got rid of anything that's like big name anything and i'm going super indie on my playlist of podcasts so um like there's like uh hashtag history um best friends playlist which they literally just talk about like best friends throughout literature the first episode is frodo and sam followed up by uh mary and pippin um and then i think um best Best friends Friends playlist and they're really good and i they're getting free advertisements on our show now (laughs) but like i'm really excited because i started listening to these shows and um i'm just i'm excited for us to kind of enter this realm I think as as I've started seeing ads, we hit a hundred followers on Instagram. Like we have some success, <laughs> and I feel like we can start looking at like being a part of a culture of indie podcasts because there's so many big podcasts nowadays that like it's it's becoming like when this is another segue, I guess. Like when music got really big, and then the punk scene took over, right? And then you had a lot of people who started creating their own stuff you know, without all the big and sparkly shows and stuff. And I feel like that's a culture that we're a part of. So I'm excited about that. Tyler's so happy to be in the indie, <laughs> the indie club. I am. It makes a little hipster in me just so proud. <laughs> and you got the glasses on to match. It's perfect. <laughs> they actually broke last night. My glasses broke last night. If you look really close, you can see black tape that I put on. That it makes it even it, more it, hipstery. It, it, it like split and then the lens just flew out. So my wife had to go outside and find my glasses lens. Because I was like, like blind Velma from um, Scooby Doo, like, ah, oh, where's my glasses? And then she fixed them for me. Okay, so. but you did a really good job because I can't tell looking at you that the, your glasses are taped. All her, all my wife. So go follow her Instagram, <laughs> Sweet Baby Pabu. It's all about her cat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think the punk in Neil Gaiman would be proud of you. Thank you very because much. He's very proud of his punk roots. Yes, he is. And I think uh, we should start off talking about him and his best friend. 
or one of his many best friends and the book they wrote together. Yeah. Because that's what Megan and I were literally talking about before the show started. <laughs> and again, just a reminder, um, we're mostly jumping. I know Megan read it uh, as she read all the parts that I didn't read um, is the Neil Gaiman, the, the art, art of Neil, of Neil Gaiman. <laughs> The, I the can't read all that. The story down. of a writer with handwritten notes, drawings, manuscripts, and personal photographs by Haley Campbell. Yeah, so that's where we're getting a lot of our info, along with I'm sure Hannah's done just a, a crazy amount of online research. I just like to listen to interviews with Neil Gaiman because his voice is so soothing <laughs> and <laughs> very British. Oh yeah, even though he hasn't lived in Britain. And forever. It's but he fine. never lost his accent. Right. He knows it sounds cool, so he keeps it up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, good so moments. Because chronologically, moment. that's an earlier it novel. Is. It is. Yeah. And he started working on it a long time before mm-hmm. um, he actually started working with Terry Pratchett. He actually started writing and then sent off um, bits of it to people to read. And Terry Pratchett was one of those. And it was... What were we reading? It was 1988. Yeah, I think that's when Terry Pratchett wrote him back or, well, called him up. (laughs) Yeah, and said, hey, would you sell this to me? I know what happens next. Sell it to me. Or do you want to co-write? And Neil Gaiman said, oh, yes, let's co-write this together. Let's co-write. Yeah. That's got to be a a bit flattering, having someone say, hey, I love this story so much that I will buy it from you to finish it. Imagine. (laughs) But yeah, but they were friends from before that. If um, I remember correctly, Neil actually was interviewing Terry Pratchett for something and they just hit it off when when they met to do the interview. Um, So yeah, that was probably pretty cool working with a good friend like that and kind of collaborating. I think it would be really difficult writing a book with someone. And you said it kind of was because (laughs) they were like, it wasn't like now where where you can just email you know the chapter you wrote to someone they would call each other on the phone and read bits and pieces to each other or send i'm not sure how they're sending it back and forth uh, probably on some sort of disc i think is what i read but um terry pratchett was more on top of things he'd call him in the morning (laughs) and be like hey i've been up for hours i've worked on gotten all this work done what are you doing and terry was like or uh, neil gaiman was like yeah I, ha- I haven't started my day yet. And then he's like, I'll start now. And then he'd go off and write some Sandman. <laughs> and by about two o'clock in the afternoon, he'd get around to writing some good omens. Oh, was it, was it in the afternoon? I thought while I was reading it that he, that it was the inverse. I thought that he'd go until two in the morning. And oh. then he was like, whatever I'm oh, doing, I'm, it, yeah. I'm done writing everything else. Two o'clock in the morning means it's good omens time. It's good omens time. He wrote um, in the middle of the night. So I, I don't know. I think we should definitely fact check that one just to make sure. <laughs> we don't have to do it right now, but we'll... Oh, well, now I'm curious. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm going to keep talking about (laughs) Neil Gaiman, the guy that I did almost no research on. Okay. But you want us to fact check. Let me. Okay. So. Talk about his punk life. I did read about Good Omen, and I did watch Good Omens on Amazon. So that is prudent. I guess I could talk about that a little bit, segue into that. Um, And really, the part that I want to get into is you guys are talking about how good of a friendship that they had. And um, I think, Megan, you were the one that was telling me just how much um, Neil Gaiman put into the TV show. Oh, yeah. He did like everything in it. He did. He spent he he was the showrunner. He was. He was really worried that they would not stay true to Terry Pratchett's vision. Um, He it was very important to him. He knew he he was worried that they would ruin 
<laughs> like so often happens that they would ruin uh, what he and Terry Pratchett had created. And since Terry Pratchett wasn't there to speak up for himself and the parts that were important to him, he just was really strict with them. And I think they did a good mm. job. Um, literature never translates perfectly to the screen, but and there were things that changed. But I thought it was well done. Yes, yeah. I'm a David Tennant fan, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I may have given him a little more leniency. <laughs> I think that the the show and and I haven't read the book, so I don't know if this is in it. And I I've said this to a lot of people, so I don't know if I've said this to you guys at all yet. But literally, probably my favorite moment in all of like TV is in that show, and it's when like the I think it's episode two, and they're showing the relationship developing between um uh, Azir. Aziraphel mm-hmm. and uh, and Crowley or Crowley at that time and they um, like from you know the Garden of Eden where they meet and then throughout like with Noah and, and stuff yeah. and then at the crucifixion where you you see them raising Jesus up and um, and you know Crowley basically admits to being the, the character of Lucifer in the Bible where he's like I you know I showed him all the kingdoms of heaven you know and and Aziraphale's like, why would you do that? And he's like, oh, he's a carpenter. He doesn't get out much, you know, that, <laughs> and that tongue in cheek right there set it up. And then it was the, he's like, so what did he even do to deserve this? And Aziraphale's like, oh, he told them to love each other. <laughs> and then, and David Tennant, the way that he delivers the joke yeah. is just perfect where he's just like, oh yeah, that'll do it. You know, like, and I just, I die, I rewound that and I listened to it and I watched it probably, probably five or six times just right there laughing. Cause to me, like that sort of tongue in cheek humor with such a serious, especially the, the serious note that the crucifixion can hold, whether you believe in it or not, like it's a serious point of, of like contention. Um, and then you watch movies like um, the the Passion of the Christ, where they depict the crucifixion in such a crazy and serious way. And then you have this this movie where they don't stray away from how serious it was, but there's still like them poking at it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I loved it so much. So that um, exact sequence was not in the book at all. Neil added it in because the way he wrote the series or structured it was he went through the book and about every sixth of the way through he added a post-it note and was like six episodes here we are then he went to section two and was like oh the the angel and the demon aren't in this segment at all and he's like how can i get them in there and so he kind of like wrote that specifically for the show yeah but i think it stayed really true to the tone of the book obviously yeah like the tone of the characters real quick um are you fact checking that? Megan, oh. um, <laughs> stop listening to us. I'm going to check something anyway, so okay. give me just a moment. Okay, so there's no reason to do that. I stopped and started, but whatever. <laughs> um, all right, so you're fact checking. Okay, so I fact checked Tyler. And we have to tell him he was right. <gasps> I hate that. Oh. The guy that didn't study at all. Oh. I'm like Harry Potter in a room of Hermione's. Megan was right in <laughs> in feeling, though, because it was yeah. when Neil was waking up. He was that, waking yeah. up to... He just didn't wake up till the, till the afternoon. <laughs> yes. And then he stayed up until like three in the morning. Which, again, I am jealous of him. 
And yet, and this happened over and over while reading whatever I did read, where he got the greatest 10-year-old birthday gift in the entire universe, (laughs) and he gets to live a life where he gets to sleep until noon. I want to sleep till noon. I want to sleep until it's appropriate to where I'm allowed to drink whiskey for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) You You could do that anyway, you know. Right, yeah. But uh, in no, your yeah. coffee? Yeah. <gasps> Irish coffee. Yeah, I can do that. It's winter. Perfectly appropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the okay. writing process for him. Yeah, he said it was a lot more fun. It was a lot of fun writing. Terry likes writing a lot more than I do. I quite like having written it. Mm. And I love going to write. Going to write <laughs> is great. <laughs> but Terry actually likes writing, which I don't, because it makes my back hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with Neil Gaiman more. Like, I'm the exact same way. I've spilled my guts to both of you guys about all the books I'm going to write. <laughs> I've given you guys this whole this cycle of, of stories that I'm going to tell. They're and, really well thought out. Right? But I just need to write them. Where are the words, Tyler? <laughs> Where are the words? <laughs> doing, yeah. doing the actual work. But the fact that he did it at all... I'm going to jump backwards a second. <gasps> You're I wanna, pulling a Tyler. I, I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when he was two years old. No, back when he was a kid. He said um, when he was about 17 or 18, he aban- He had always wanted to write comics. Mm-hmm. And about 17 or 18, he abandoned any hope of writing comics. Um, it, and the way that she worded it was just perfect and i knew we had to share it It said gaiman had essentially abandoned any hope of working in comics the idea having been squashed out of him by the kind of school careers advisor that stereotypes are built on Mm. and doesn't that happen to so so many people i hear that all the time parents come in here i don't know why my kids don't read anymore how do i get my kids to read anymore i i think so often we say, oh, they have to go down this direct path. They have to do this and this and this, or um, they need to read this. This is what they should be reading. We forget to teach them that there's pleasure in reading and creating and writing, whatever oh, yeah. it is that they're inspired to do, and they, they lose that spark, and I think that's where we lose a lot of readers. Yeah. yeah. In third grade, I wrote one of the greatest comic books of my entire life, and I never did it again because nobody thought it was great. Oh. <laughs> it was about a monkey and a leopard. They get superpowers and they're best friends. Oh. Yeah. And someday, when you're famous, <laughs> you'll go back, and that will become the greatest. It'll be what of all I'm time. known for: <laughs> is super monkey and super leopard. Creative names. Yeah, I was eight, so <laughs> actually it was Lightning Monkey. No, what was it? He had lightning powers, and then, of course, the leopard was super fast. That was creative. <laughs> yeah. If the dinky donkey can become a bestseller, I think the leopard is going to be okay. Now I'm already starting to think of a story I could tell. I might have to do this. Maybe if we ever have a Patreon, I'll release, I'll release Lightning Monkey as, oh a, my God. as an extra thing for Patreon. Maybe we can make a shirt. <laughs> Lightning monkey. <laughs> but he needs punk glasses like uh, Neil Gaiman. Punk um, glasses. His black leather jacket and his dark glasses. He said he started dressing like that because he wanted to look like a comic book character. Sure. He was yeah. doing that on purpose. I suspect he really just didn't want to do laundry that often. And black <laughs> doesn't show dirt as much. But, you know, Neil, you can say it's because you wanted to look like a comic book character. For sure. 
All right, so that was the end of all my research until you guys say something that I know. Mm -hmm. So after their their process of writing, Neil said um, the book was actually almost immediately bought by Hollywood, Mm -hmm. but they just had a terrible, terrible Hollywood experience. Oh, yeah. And that's why it didn't come out until 20 years later. I think in, in the right time, too. I think trying to make movies is so... I don't know, man. I, the more the more we get from Netflix and Hulu and and Amazon, where we get these longer stories and like Good Omens is what eight episodes? Mm-hmm. I think six. Six episodes, yeah. and it gives you time to just kind of get to know the characters in the way that a book would, mm-hmm. in a different fashion. Um, you where just can't fit a book into two hours or an hour and a yeah. half on screen. Yeah, exactly. And I think the timing of movies has just really gotten away from them. And I think I saw that the most when The Hobbit came out. And we got three two-hour movies out of The Hobbit. But it's like, yo, you could have made... you Like, you made Lord of the Rings each one one movie. Like, mm-hmm. and you're going to turn the shortest in that whole series into three movies? I, I think he screwed something up there. And I think that, that like they're try we're seeing them try to stretch things out the wrong way. Or they don't understand how to condense properly. I don't know. I get I get tired of Hollywood movies. One of my favorite Facebook memes says something about you know, they need to create a job in Hollywood where <laughs> literally the, your whole job is to follow the director around <laughs> oh. <laughs> with, the novel. Oh, sorry. with the novel and smack them in the head every time they go off course. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need that job. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. I think Neil would appreciate that job, too. Because I think that's essentially what Neil did on Good Omens. Yeah, he was saying at one point, and now I'm trying to, like, find it as yeah. I talk. I'm pulling a Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> We're all pulling Tyler's Because today. I'm forcing you to. For right? once, I'm not taking the lead. I'm making you guys do it all. It was like in some interview and they were talking about like how after the experience of show running Good Omens, it sounded like he would never want to do that again. Yeah. And he was like, no, I definitely never want to do it again. But it was satisfying to be able to go around and be like, here, this thing that I wrote, I wrote it that way for a reason. Yeah. And like it works if you follow it. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, cool. He did what every author wants like, to do. Yeah, every author who hasn't gotten uh, like a Hollywood contract has that same like mentality of like, well, when they make a book or a movie out of my book, I'm gonna be there to tell them how to do it right. And it's like you obviously don't know how Hollywood yeah. works. But he made it <laughs> work. He like yeah. handpicked all of the actors. He like texted John Hamm or something, and he was like, "Hey, 20 years ago, you told me you loved my book. Do you want to be the angel Gabriel?" And John Hamm was like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. He yeah. did such a good job too. He did. Yeah. He was very punchable. Yeah, which you know he's gonna be just because it's John Ham. It's John Ham. He's like like it would have been a bigger twist if he ended up being like a really good character. I don't know. You guys went not. real quiet after I said that. Like some <laughs> sin had been committed. No. But yeah, uh, any other thoughts on on Good Omen? I mean, I'm with you. I definitely liked the book better i was like awkwardly laughing out loud in public spaces while i was reading the book good omens <laughs> and you have to be careful if you're listening to it on audio which is how i read it oh no at work <laughs> yeah but you work, Wait, work in a bookstore it's fine no work here but there's children that come into my book Wait, store. were you listening to it out loud? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's not that bad. I, I feel like <laughs> listen to audiobooks in the bookstore anymore. Yeah. I mean like 
I again, I only watched the show. There's only like one sex scene in it, right? Yeah, yeah and it's in the language. I think. Oh, okay. oh, really? Okay. Well, he's a little. I mean, he's a bit Crowley, but he's a bit. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'll give that to you. Yeah. That's just where my mind goes, and we're gonna bring. I'm gonna bring that up later. We'll oh, because we're gonna talk about a about a different American book. Gods. We'll get there. Trust me. There's lots to talk about <laughs> well, on I'm that glad one. That you, I have not read American Gods or watched it. Oh my what? god. Well, again, we'll get to it. Let's. Well, I, I know that we've got. We're skipping a lot if we go to American Gods, so we're not doing that yet. Wait, what are we skipping if we go to American Gods next? I don't know, Megan. So, me? What? Um, Neverwhere would have been Oh next chronologically Chronologically would be his next novel I will admit I didn't finish finish that one yet I did read that I read it while I was on What uh, is You guys have talked about it so much In preparation for this What is Neverwhere Because it sounds like underwear that it you basic, I mean it's underground. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's underground It involves like the sewers or like subway systems of London a lot and it's mm. like time travely slash world travely. It's I mean, like all Neil Gaiman books, it's super freaking weird. Yeah. I identified very strongly with the main character because he was just like following along on this weird adventure being like, what the F is happening? And I was like, Yep, that's how I feel reading so this. It's, it's interesting to me because I don't I don't necessarily get that from Neil Gaiman that weirdness because I've read Sandman and that's a comic book and he was pushing the boundaries with that so like that's weird just because it's weird not because it's Neil Gaiman just because it's like that's what the title was and then I've read American Gods and Norse Mythology and those are weird because they're like American Gods is dealing with gods and Norse Mm -hmm. Mythology and and Norse Mythology obviously Mm -hmm. so like me having even read three different pieces by him i don't i don't necessarily go like oh neil gaiman writes such weird thing i'm just like yeah he touches on some weird shit but like i mean he's just telling us stories are these other stories like neverwhere and ocean at the end of the lane are they books where it like catalyzes catalyzes uh, crystallizes crystal Mm, I don't know where your sentence is going. Cauterizes, I think, is where I was gonna go with that. <laughs> That's we'll burning. That. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's like getting <laughs> it in there. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with cauterize. Is it something that cauterizes him as a weird writer? Like, it- it's really important to him. I was reading <clears throat> that he not be put in a box. Yeah. Uh, which is why he wrote um, kind of all over the place. Yeah. But the underlying thread to all of his work is that. That he is outside the box. That there, there is a lot of fantasy and mythology, which is what he was inspired by as a child. Yeah, mm. his works are very diverse, but his voice is kind of consistent. Like I feel like you could pick up any Neil Gaiman book with the cover like blacked out and recognize mm-hmm. who's writing it at some point. Mm. That's cool. That's really Cause, cool because everything has a, a, a bit of a, a strange. Uh, yeah, maybe he doesn't want to be weird, but a bit of a strange. Um, thread to it yeah, yeah. it's like a, a signature mix of like fantasy strangeness and also humor yeah mm-hmm. i think even yeah. in his books that are darker there's still like those humorous moments right that are and, distinctly gaiman-esque so yeah. you you were saying that neverwhere is weird but what is it about like give me the elevator pitch on that guy the elevator pitch on that guy is that like it, it takes place in the real world and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just a normal dude living his life. And then all of a sudden he's in this other world where people are talking to rats and getting chased by these like ki- 
demon assassin type people <laughs> and he's hanging out what? with a girl whose name is literally door i'm like how am i supposed to follow along here and she opens doors oh, to other man. worlds oh, i was gonna make a different joke about openings but whatever <laughs> no. we'll move along no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's the just, old game and you can do that with his material <laughs> but just the like contrast between the realism of like this dude is trying to kind of get back to his normal life and his boring job and his yeah boring bitchy fiance and mm. then also like talking to rats <laughs> so they had asked him to write a novel about the homeless in london and he didn't want <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no he didn't want all the all the fans to be moving to london and thinking oh it'd be cool to be homeless and wandering oh, no. the streets in london <laughs> and making you know trying to so he's like, what if I make an underground in London? <laughs> <laughs> so by they, you mean the publishers wanted him? Mm -hmm. That's weird. <laughs> They're just like, Neil Gaiman, here's this book you should write. Yeah. And he's like, but wait. <laughs> it was the BBC. They wanted to make him to make a fantasy TV show. So I guess he made, <laughs> he, did he make the TV show first? And then he was like, yeah, you guys are going to mess it up. I'm going to run and write the book real quick. Did they make the TV show or was it like an audio thing? Um, a fantasy TV show. He said, the only idea I've got is something about tribes of homeless people in London. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, it looks like they didn't make a mini series out of yeah. it. Nice. So is that one that he's really well known for? I don't think so. No. I mean, yes, in some circles. It's not one that I had read yet. Mm. He he writes so all over the place. He's got poetry, and he's got short stories, and his comic books. Um, yeah, his. have you I, read any of his short story collections? Um, the Some of them, the I guess the biggest short story, the short story that turned into a novel would be um, the Ocean at the End of the Lane, mm -hmm. which jumps to another book. But. It does, and a good segue, I think, because that one he started writing as, like, a present for his wife, right? Mm -hmm. It was, like, to explain <laughs> himself to her. Yeah, what a loser. A what kind of loser <laughs> yeah. writes a book for his wife? He would do that. Definitely not dummy, anyone talking right dumb, now. Dumb, uh, dumpster. Rebecca Moon by Tyler Clausen. Find it Black online. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it at the book, Nick. Um, <laughs> Do you have more than just one copy? Uh, no, but I'll sell mine and order another one. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-order with me today. We don't. We don't need to. We don't need to talk more about it. This is not going to be a shameless plug for a crappy book that I wrote. Oh, you could be the next Neil Gaiman writing no, books for your wife. That dude's a freaking genius. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to be a Neil Gaiman. Okay, he he is, but when he started, he was just pretending. He was like, "I want to be a writer." Yeah, and so I'm going to go do that. But he's like, he admits all the time, "I didn't know what the heck I was doing." Sure, I but just that just makes him more of a genius because he knows how to figure it out. I talked about this on the last episode. Uh -huh. He's smart enough to understand the creative process. Like he can, he can analyze stuff like that so well. Like I, I barely know if I'm writing. You should, you should see the notes that Hannah has to make on my books. <laughs> she literally every single piece of dialogue, I either put a comma or I put a period and I can guarantee it's the wrong one. <laughs> 
because Hannah's been like, yo, start putting commas at the end of your dialogue. It's that's how it works. I'm like, great, I'll do that. But then she's like, no, this comma doesn't belong. It's the end of a (laughs) sentence. I'm like, but it's the end of dialogue. I went through fourth grade and I don't understand English. That's why we have editors. It's okay. Authors don't need to edit their own work. You just need to write a story. Yeah. Okay. I'm Amy doesn't understand I, where commas go yeah. either. And Neil Gaiman said, uh, "I can't remember which part of the book it was in, but he went home and he pulled out of the attic some book that he had written. Yeah, his first his book. And yeah. he was like, this is horrible. And yeah. someone, if I'd gone up to somebody, and or if somebody came up to me and said, hey, will you read my book? And am I any good? He's like, I probably would think." Yeah, you're never going to make it. You should go sell real estate. Right, <laughs> right. Because there were so many pages where he's like, my vo- I was really good at that time in my life at copying other people's voices. Yeah. He's like, I pulled out one page that sounded like myself. But mm-hmm. that's what we have to do. You just you just write. He, he got that out to writing. like read to his kid, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Eventually so. you find your voice. Aww. Yeah. And I, I think that when I wrote Rebecca Moon, that was me copying Douglas Adams' voice. Okay. I, Adam Douglas I can't oh. See I'll now that you say it it, yeah. it confuses me Right <laughs> I know that's me trying to Copy the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Voice <laughs> um, And someone even picked up on that on Wattpad they read it and they, they're like you sound Just like Douglas Adams oh, <laughs> just Is that right? It, say it with Megan, conviction Which one is it? Douglas Adams. Oh thank god okay you sound just like Douglas Adams And I was thrilled I was like oh Awesome I can impersonate another writer That's cool and That was that was it his lawyers probably think So too yeah well It's free I'm not making money so. <laughs> But yeah uh, So going back to Ocean at the End of the Lane how did it go From novella to novel He kept writing and he just kept kept Getting longer <laughs> He was like oh this is, I've passed the word limit Yeah there's more and more he didn't mean for it to be that long here i'm gonna find it now that but that came out that came out recently right that was like 2013 i think yeah so what what came out after neverwhere uh next for me would be Coraline, probably 2002 Uh, it was stardust and then american gods was wait was Coraline before oh american gods might have just come out before Coraline. Yeah, Stardust. Because he went from Gals that to Cor- Coraline. Okay, so I haven't read Stardust or seen the movie. I saw the movie and I had no idea that it was a Neil Gaiman story. Oh, really? Like, none at all. I watched the movie and I was like, this is a great movie. I love this movie. A gay pirate? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, that should be your clue that it's a Neil Gaiman story. Right, obviously. Story. If there's any, <laughs> yeah. But no, like I thought that was a great story. I thought it was just ridiculous enough to make sense. And now that I know Neil Gaiman's style, I'm like, yeah, that that's how, it looks like a Neil Gaiman story now. And it was shot on the Isle of Skye, which is where he has a house and one of his favorite places which is why I went to the uh, Isle of Skye. Do you oh, do you know Stardust very well? Right now. <laughs> do you know Stardust very well, Megan? Not very well. You haven't read it or watched the movie? Mm-mm. Oh, well, I guess that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, sorry. All I know now is that the guy from Stardust is the best daredevil we've ever gotten. The gay pirate? No, not the gay pirate. Oh. <laughs> that's Robert De Niro. Oh. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, I'll go home and... Charlie... I don't know his last name. Charlie something is the guy. People who like this movie and or Daredevil are probably screaming at me right now. Um, But I just I literally call him Daredevil. I don't know what his name is for real. Charlie Daredevil. 
<laughs> Charlie um, Daredevil Stardust. Char- Charlie Cox? Yeah, Charlie Cox. Okay. He was also in um, Downton Abbey. And I was really okay. excited that he was in Downton Abbey. He looks like the dude from New Girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, um, uh, uh Miller's. Uh, Nick. Nick Miller? Yeah. You think he looks like Nick Miller? <laughs> yes, that is yeah, exactly. A bit. There's this one picture where he's like looking confused like <laughs> Nick Miller. <laughs> no, Jess, I don't. That's my impersonation of Nick Miller. And in another random tangent, in Anna's book that I'm reading, uh, her one of the main characters. Oh yeah, is Nick Miller? To it, me. He doesn't look like Nick. I need to describe him better, differently. No, you need to describe him exactly like Julius Pepperwood, Nick Miller's oh cop version gosh. of himself. I'm Julius Pepperwood. Um, yeah, so Stardust is a pretty good movie. You should check it out for sure if if you haven't. And I haven't read the book, so I can't recommend it. It's probably better than the movie. Probably they always really are. Really, they are. Yeah. And if it's Neil Gaiman, of course it is. Of course so it then, is. So then, so we're then we're on to American Gods. But, but which I, I know, can't help with either. Do you want to talk we about can. Coraline first? Because no, we should do American Gods first. Okay. I got the timeline mixed up. So okay. Tyler actually read American Gods, guys. I didn't think he was going to. Why didn't I think you were going to read it, Tyler? Because I never read anything. No, uh, because it has too much sex in it. That too. <laughs> okay. So let's get this. Let's get this out of the way. I'm fine with people who I'm fine with. I'm no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fine. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm fine when people write about sex. I'm fine when a scene in a story that I'm reading justifies sex in it. Mm-hmm. What I'm not okay with is gratuitous sex, like mm, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey, and literally something where if you're reading it in public, like. We can all see the boner that you have while you're reading it. Like, I'm not okay with that because that's sex for sex sake. And I, like, I don't agree with that. And you still into the story. Yeah. I agree. And then, and then the problem comes around where they make a TV show on HBO or a movie about it. How do you do sex the right way in video? And I, I personally don't like it when story is interrupted with sex. That's my own thing. I it's it's because I come from a very conservative background. It's because I love my wife very much and she <laughs> has her own problems with that and I don't want to make them worse by being like, "Oh, let's watch <laughs> Humpity Hump fantasy movies." <laughs> yeah. yeah um so like so I I have a line in the sand where uh, I feel like American Gods is the type of book that I I loved reading it because he didn't write sex in it to be sexy sex sex. He wrote it to help understand the characters that are in it. But the second they transitioned into the TV show, it became about sex. Did you watch the whole TV show? No, I watched the first three episodes. And in every single episode, every single episode, Mm -hmm. they had um, the one chick who was... um, who was uh, the the prostitute lady? Oh, that goddess sucking mm-hmm. people into her vagina, like unbirthing them essentially. I did see one episode <coughs> of this. This is why. I, yeah. yeah. So so that happened in all three episodes that I watched. 
She you know, only did that once in the book. In the book, exactly. That's upsetting. That's exactly what I'm talking. And not once only was enough. Not only did they show it in the show, but they showed it montages of it. Oh my god! Because they needed to show as much skin as they could mm-hmm. to get viewers to watch. Because they're like, "This is stars. What else are we gonna yeah. do?" So I don't agree with that. I don't agree that that helped you understand the character. I I didn't think that it's. I don't think it's appropriate and appropriate. Meaning it doesn't help the story move along. Yeah. Um. So like I can sound like a prude, but I'm not being a prude. I'm just I don't like I like when when the story's there. I I don't. I've even written sex into my books because not even sex. I've written scenes where people are sitting around naked, and you know they they're they're obviously going to or just had sex, but it's not part of the scene. Like I don't know. I get. I get upset over it. I think once is shocking, multiple times is overkill for sure. that yeah. kind of stuff in the show. And then like there's other things like they they changed characters in the show, and this is I guess where I can get into it. I I watched those three episodes, and then I I just read the synopsis of each episode online, just to see like did they stick to the book? How did it turn out? And they derailed so hard so hard it's insane and i'm so glad i didn't keep watching the show because i would have just been angry the whole time and they make up oh man (laughs) that's okay this is like the first time i haven't done that but like like so in in the book um man i don't want to give too much away but it is a big part of the book and it's not a spoiler so in the book uh shadow's wife dies uh while giving Roadhead to uh, his best friend. Which I was so glad I could explain that to Megan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Megan, you didn't know what Roadhead was before uh, we read American all kinds of Megan's a really Roadhead. nice person. <laughs> um, so so she dies doing that. Um, and, and that's the end of her sexual experiences throughout the book. It's not the end of her story throughout mm-hmm. the book. Are you saying that women can be more than just sex objects and yeah. stories, Tyler. Yeah, I'm saying Whoa. that that the, <laughs> there is a character arc that she builds, and it's really cool, and uh, and it's really really interesting. And I'll come back to that in just a second. But what bothered me is just from the like from reading all about the the TV version, she she's like she comes back to life, and she's just like she's having sex with other guys, and I'm like. One, that didn't happen in the book. And two, that's ruining who her character from this story. She is devout to Shadow throughout her, her undead process in the books. She's like all about him. And even when you think that there's a moment where maybe she's going to be with another dude. Nope. Nope. <laughs> definitely not. That's why they needed the the guy working with the director. Yep. Follow him around and hit him with the book. So, like, there's there's a lot of scenes in in um, American Gods that are hard for me to digest just as, uh, as a conservative cr- Christian male. But I get over them because I can enjoy the process of the character building, especially when you get a random, super random gay fuck in there. And not because I'm against gays, just because it, like, I... I don't have the gay mentality. So when two guys are in a scene together, I don't automatically go, oh, they might be, they might have be having sex soon. And then suddenly they're having sex. You're and I'm like, like, the book didn't prepare me for this. Yeah, whoa, <laughs> hold up. Okay, cool. Let's, that's great. Now I know more about that character. And that's the thing. He writes it in a way that's like, that happened. And now here's the outcome of it. 
and and that's it um and so i was i was struggling really hard with the motivation for shadow throughout the book because he is he's he doesn't he doesn't hate his wife after finding out that she died giving Roadhead to his his best friend. He certainly doesn't say that he loves her. He specifically says, like, I don't think I could ever say that again. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, like, hate her the way I would hate someone who did that to me. Right? So, so I'm struggling with it as I'm listening to the book. And there is a really cool part where... Um, Shadow is an employee of um, of Odin. He's working for Odin, and Odin's like he asks him to do something, and Shadow's like, "Sure, yeah, I can do that." And Odin's like, "Dude, why do you just agree to do everything? Why are you so obedient to me? Why do you do everything, whether it sounds good or bad or not?" And Shadow's like, "A couple weeks ago, I got out of prison, and I found out the same day that my wife died." while having sex with my best friend. You don't get lower than that. There's no coming back from that. I have nothing to lose. And suddenly the entire book, the entire motivation for his story makes sense. Everything that he's done to that point makes perfect sense. And I like, I'm almost, I'm almost a little teary eyed right now because it was amazing. It was this sudden realization of like, yeah, that's how I would feel. There is no coming back from that. I would die if that happened to me. And he's just moving on. He's he's still living, but and this is a common theme throughout the book. He's living, but he's not really living. And I I absolutely adored it. And that's why I loved American God so much because I got through all the shit that I didn't agree with to get to the point where it affected me hard. So that was that's my my grand thing on American Gods. And he thought he didn't have anything to right. say in this episode. That was beautiful. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I'm just going to take a nap here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So you read it too, Hannah. I read what it do too. you think? <laughs> I obviously did not have that emotional reaction to yeah. it. I got yeah. to the end and I'm like, okay, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked Shadow as a character. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. I too was like, why is he being such a, you know, to use his his wife's term for him, puppy? Yeah. <laughs> why is he just letting everyone kick him around? Yeah. But yeah, it does make sense once you get to that. And you're like, oh, okay. I buy it. But yeah, so that one um, was actually inspired by his move to the States, uh, driving around the Midwest all the time. And mm-hmm. it kind of turned into a road trip of a book. And reading that that's why he wrote that, I was like, oh that actually worked really well it's like this trippy road trip that just happens to involve gods right it's like yeah the the gods that all the immigrants brought to america yeah yeah and i love how they manifest in like more cultural and like timely ways it's like the tv god and stuff like all of the things that we worship now that we don't worship actual gods yeah and and the whole the whole basis is that like these gods are our version of them too it's not like this is the odin it's an odin yeah Yeah. so that's what's that's what i really liked about it yeah so i think next up we do have Coraline, Coraline. which was the first neil gaiman book i ever read so here i was thinking he wrote children's books this whole time (laughs) he has has written a lot of children's books but i haven't read a lot of them and i have to admit when i first read Coraline when i was younger i didn't like it 
Really? And I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't think that, uh, that I would like Neil Gaiman as an adult. Really? Because I've changed as a reader. So I mm. did quit reading it halfway, th- or like not even halfway through the first time I picked it up. I was probably, I, I was in elementary school or middle school or something. Um, I think it was because it was too British for me. <laughs> like they were talking about the flat and stuff and I didn't really get it. I'm not an Anglophile like um, so many of the authors we talk about like are. Like Lovecraft. Yeah, okay. like Lovecraft. You would have loved Coraline. I was not digging it. I was like, okay, whatever. And then I read it a couple years later and I was like, how did I not like this the first time around? <laughs> I love British TV and authors, but I didn't like that it was scary. Oh, it and is really, when I was young. it is really scary. I think reading it as a kid, I didn't realize how messed up it was and now going back as an adult i'm like wait they're like sewing buttons on people's eyes where they should be and like I what think, is happening i think that things become more scary as you get older i don't think that i mean i think that every kid's different obviously and some of them might find things scarier than than others but like yeah i, I was looking back on some of the shows and stuff that i would watch as a kid and i was like how how did i watch this how did i watch jurassic park when I was five years old. That's insane. <laughs> There's freaking velociraptors tearing people's faces off. No, thank you. Why wasn't I terrified? Right. Um, but yeah, I think there was one thing that I found interesting. Um, Neil Gaiman was talking about following up American Gods with Coraline. And he said um, that it felt really wonderful to do that because nobody even knew that he wanted to be a kid's author. Um, yeah. And he was like, I just written this giant book that's won all of these awards, American Gods, and it's incredibly adult and it's thick and it's a proper book. And then he goes on and writes this book that he described as a book nobody's waiting for. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Because that's his thing is just writing what he wants. Yeah. Whether it's weird or not, he's just going to enjoy the writing process. And he said it's so much less stressful to do it that way. He's like, there's a lot of pressure if you're writing something that everybody wants you to write. Because you have all of their expectations on you, but instead he's like, "No, I'm going to write this." Neil Gaiman never wrote anything that because someone told him. No, yeah, look what he look what he did with Neverwhere. Like, (laughs) oh yeah, uh, homeless people. Let's throw in some talking rats and uh, (laughs) and assassins and yeah, and a whole underground world. Yeah, no, but Coraline as an adult, going back and reading Coraline and watching the movie, I think I'm a little more intrigued by it because it's actually the story i understand now is actually based on a victorian legend that that they would tell their children to scare them really i didn't know that Mm -hmm. yeah that's super cool so so now i i enjoy it much more of course neil gaiman would know the victorian legend weird ass (laughs) myth that he could throw into his story and make it sound like he came up with it how did he um change it like um i actually have no idea her name was poraline Coraline is a sweet name, by the way. Yeah. And all he had sure. to do was change one letter from Caroline. I, yeah. So my mother-in-law's name is Carolyn. And when I first met her, probably for the first year that I knew that she existed, I was terrified that I was going to call her Coraline. <laughs> like, because I don't know. I'm bad with names. I'm really bad with names. But luckily, your name is the same backwards as it is forwards. So that helps me remember it. <laughs> 
That's all I've got going for yeah. me in, in it's name the only terms. reason why I asked you to be my co-host <laughs> on this show. Otherwise, you'd be calling me like Heather or something. Yeah. And it would so be awkward. Her name. Hey, uh, Henry. Uh, damn it. Um, Hank. H- Hector. Ah. <laughs> Suddenly, I've become a man, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funnier if I say yeah. my name. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't say how he picked the name Coraline or what he changed um, here, but it sounds like he was inspired. His daughter, um, Holly, came home from school one day and climbed up in his lap and started telling him this crazy, bizarre story about um, an evil witch and a mother tied up in the basement. Oh, and my nice. Lord. She's going to be like him. <laughs> yeah. So. There's, a, there's a comic book called Axe Cop, A-X-E Cop, and... It is illustrated by a 30-year-old man, but the story is literally written from him, the the illustrator, going and playing with his little brother who's like six years old. And then he lit, like the kid wrote the story by playing with his toys. And the wow. guy would just like be like, okay, and then what happens? He's like, <laughs> and then Axe Cop takes, gets his his partner, the dinosaur partner, to go fight the bad guys on Bad Guy Planet. He's like, oh, okay. And how does he get to Bad Guy Planet? They create a rocket ship out of ketchup. Like, and that's what the whole comic book series is about. That's, we need to borrow Frankie's daughter and do this. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> She'd be so good at it. She went on for probably, what, 30 minutes yeah. easily after our live show? She stood up here with a microphone. She's like, and then this happened and that happened. I'm like, you are really smart <laughs> and and she kept stressing specific things yeah. like She's and like, in the mirrors really important they can't see you in the mirrors they can't see you and we're like yeah we got it and she keeps talking and then she come out we like and remember in the mirrors <laughs> they can't see you i'm like are you trying to warn us? She's she's foreshadowing <laughs> yeah. hard. <laughs> Let's cover all the mirrors. So what yeah. what uh, what did he do next? Is he still writing comic books throughout this process? Do you know? Uh, what year did Sandman end? Because Coraline came out in like 2002. So. Oh man, oh. I don't even know. Uh, when the last Sandman mid nineties, I think. So yeah, he might have been done then. Okay, so one thing that I wanted to make sure to talk about was Neil Gaiman's tips on the writing process because he talks about this a lot and I know a lot of authors kind of share their their insights, but um, he, there was one um, interview I was listening to where he gets down to like the nitty gritty like materials that he is using to write. Really? He's so specific about the kind of pens he uses and everything that he writes goes on um, paper on the first draft. Yeah. So he has at least two fountain pens they have to be fountain pens because he likes the weight of it in his hand. Oh, I totally okay. get that. And he yeah. has them in different colors. So every day he'll switch back and forth between which color he writes in. So he can be like, oh, yesterday I wrote like 12 pages. Good day. Or like today I only wrote three pages. Not so great. Because he can really tell cool. by the colors. Yeah. So after I heard that, I actually started writing like in a physical book. He um, used like drawing pads for a while. Yeah. And then he switched to like this very specific i think it's like a german name or something um because i cannot pronounce it to save my life um it's loistrum i put a pronunciation guide in there <laughs> loistrum journals are the ones he uses okay, well, uh, let's look those up. yeah it's like moleskin but better I maybe guess. that see I you was gotta talking, start selling them. i was talking to <laughs> megan uh last week mm-hmm. about us maybe doing a uh, giveaway 
or something. Ooh. Maybe that could be a cool giveaway is like a writing kit, the same writing kit that Neil, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman uses. That would be really cool, huh? I mean, it's on my a Christmas fountain wish pen list. and the Loistrom notebooks. All right, let me do some research, see if I can find it. <laughs> it'll be a it'll be a sponsored uh, giveaway. Yes. And oh, then you so too can write. That's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, so he writes all of his um, first drafts on on paper. Um, and he says the first drafts can go completely off the rails. No one ever has to read it. This is where you just get to experiment as a writer. Yeah. And then the second draft he goes and he types it all up and he says, quote, make it look like I knew what I was doing all along. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Which is how he started. Yes. He's, yeah. He's carrying that through to his current, his current work. Um, and then another thing that he really stressed and this, I think came straight from his website because people always ask authors they're like hey what are your writing tips how do i get published sure he's like okay here's how you get published you write you finish writing your book (laughs) yeah and then i was like damn he's like targeting me specifically yeah like obviously but no i (laughs) i need the secret potion neil (laughs) right I I actually and we're gonna talk about him one day. Yeah, I'm doing it again, Hannah. You're doing it again. Uh, Ted Decker was my favorite author throughout oh. middle school and early high school, and I actually uh, exchanged a couple emails with him, uh, which is like the highlight of my entire life. And he wrote to me and and basically said like you when you write a book, the only way you're gonna sell that book is if you write a book that's gonna change you as the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I wrote a lot of books that were really just, they were books I wrote to write. He's like, and then the first book I wrote to work on my own self, that was the first book I published. And I was like, Oh damn. Wow. uh, Ted Decker. So that, that changed how I looked at, at my writing process. Is that how you write now? Yeah. I write to question everything I know. Everything. So, what is Neil Gaiman questioning? Reality? Reality? Yeah, Yeah, easy. That's super easy. Yeah, I think there's some, like, social and, like, interpersonal metaphors in there. My my PhD thesis worthy American Gods Gods synopsis. Yes, it ended in tears. Yeah, almost. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was interesting, too. He also... um, kind of de-emphasized agents i think a lot of authors play up that you like have to find an agent but he said he had written and published three books before he even decided it was time to get an agent yeah and i think that there's there's always a difference for writers i i think that neil's smart enough and he had enough connections with enough authors that Mm -hmm. by the time he was getting published like he knew the game pretty well yeah um someone like me i barely know how to write let alone what the process of of publishing and in contracts are i don't think that i would do well without an agent or or at least someone who came by my side and said let me show you how to do this um so i i think that i I I don't him it was all about relationships in the in the end of um the art of neil gaiman he was talking about a birthday party that he'd had and all these people came and so and she was saying so many people sent him cards and gifts and showed up and there was so much love for him because relationship is so important to him and uh he he you see that in his novels uh, even good omens like it's about the relationship between um yeah Crowley yeah and oh my god Zero 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 Zero. Zero. <laughs> um and so for him 
it's about all the relationships over time that he was very genuine. He had to have been so genuine with all of these people that he was interviewing. Yeah. Or Terry mm-hmm. Pratchett. He, all he did was interview him. How many times? And then they're Terry, lifelong friends. Yeah. How yeah. many times has Terry Pratchett been interviewed? And then. I think that, that I have learned quite a bit from Neil Gaiman. And like, especially it seems interesting and fitting that I've been learning a lot of stuff. I talked about, I talked at the top of the show about Instagram and getting followers and following people and talking to them. Like I had someone not call me out, but kind of be honest with me. I I posted on a on a writer's page saying like, "Hey, we're at ninety four followers. We're, we've been here forever. I just want to get to a hundred. Can anyone help us out?" And this guy's like, "Dude, you got to just talk to people. Like you got to network with people." And I was like, "Dude, I'm a podcaster and a writer specifically, <laughs> so I don't have to talk to people. Like I just want to talk to myself and turn that into content." And and he's like, that's not how it works, man. You you gotta talk to people. And and he really he he was pushing me, and I really appreciate it, Larry. If you're listening, uh, big impact. <laughs> um, but like, he he was right. Like the second I started reaching out to people, and I'm terrified. I'm I'm worried that I'm gonna come on too strong and just word vomit all over people. And <laughs> and but I'm he just, does, guys. I'm just wiping off right now. <laughs> did you not hear the American God synopsis? I'm just um, but it like it. I'm just trying to learn how to be nice and how to compliment people and, and approach them in an honest way. Um, but it's hard. The internet makes it really hard because especially when writing, like to get the tone that people understand, like, look, I'm not selling anything to you. I just, I just want to tell you, you have a good show, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's it. And, um, or Hey, like it would help us out if, if you listened or just checked us out sort of thing it's it's a it's a weird line to toe and i think he that's what makes neil gaiman really good is that he is good at that he's good at going like hey what's up my favorite author in the entire world can i do an interview with you and 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 you said it yourself hannah people are always like how did i how did this happen and you know like i don't know how to make that happen in my own life but it's interesting to watch someone who did it's probably easier since he has that deep soothing British, British voice. accent, yeah. It just sounds like he's your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap up. For sure. Thanks for hanging out with us, Megan. Megan Thank did you. 90% of the research for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I only had to fact, fact check her once. And he's still smug. <laughs> I think he wants to hear one more time that he was right. No, you were right. no, it's But fine. you were wrong about C.S. Lewis and his brother bicycling <gasps> to see him in the hospital. Wow, that's a deep cut. <laughs> Holy cow. All right. Um, yeah, Megan, seriously, thank you so much for hanging out with us. But more importantly, thank you for letting us hang out in the book nook and record every couple of weeks. Well, it's very fun. I get to speak every week. So. You, she hears it first. Do you want to shout out anything before before you take off to go set up for another event? <laughs> um, if you like Neil Gaiman and he writes a lot of fantasy science fiction, you should come check out our fantasy book club. Yeah. Uh, where are you located? We are in Canby, Oregon, um, uh, right in the heart of downtown. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so... Uh, you guys should definitely come down if you're in the Portland area and you want to just enjoy a nice small town uh, experience. Camby's the place to come, but more specifically the Camby Book Nook where you can randomly hear people talking about 
American God. Yeah, you, you <laughs> might actually come on a night and get a sneak peek of uh, the famous Hannah and Tyler. Yeah, I'm so famous. famous. So famous. <laughs> I'm the sexy American chick, according to one oh, of our, that's right, our Carl, listeners. Yeah. Carl, thanks so much thanks, for a Carl. shout out, man. That, that made was my awesome. day. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I like strutted I had, into work. <laughs> I had to think for a second after he posted that of like, I was like, D- wait, did I read that? Did he? Did he think I read? That I was a girl? And then I realized, no, I was way too tired to read that story. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, our end of show thing. Um, If you liked this, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and or iTunes, because that's the most important one. And we love reading your guys's reviews too they're super nice yeah uh we've we've been seeing a few people talk to us on instagram so that was really really cool to to have you guys chat with us um and um yeah so you can check out our instagram lewis and lovecraft um chat us up there you can email us if you want to add any any content to our show questions uh fact checking (laughs) better than what i do um and we are uh we announced it on the last episode from now on it's open season. Feel free to send in any flash fiction you want. If you send something in, we will try to read it on our show. Um, <clears throat> I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, also, the best way to spread the word, tell a friend. Tell your friends oh, about yeah. our show. Yeah. And your grandmas. My grandma's still trying to figure out how to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just tell a couple people. Share us uh, somewhere on online so someone else can have the joy of knowing what Roadhead is. <laughs> <laughs> and, I learned so much. <laughs> uh, and so a uh, quick announcement before we thank our last person and say goodbye. Um, for our next episode, we're going to be talking about Mr. James. Mr. James, I want to say it every single time I type it in. Mr. Um, James, it will be it'll be our last full episode before the end of the year. Um, but then after that, we have really big plans, and we're going to announce that in the next episode uh, for for leading up to Christmas. Um, so it's it's going to be really fun. So definitely check out next episode where we talk about the most important part of Christmas. Am I right? Of <laughs> uh, the ghost stories. Oh, Hannah, you want to thank our, our favorite person in the world? Yes, our favorite person in the world besides Megan is Jake Basson, who made our fabulous intro-outro music. Uh, you can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. Also, I was just listening to like all of his SoundCloud music the other day. It's so good. It's also good. Like yeah. I was listening to their song Burn and I was like, this sounds like a pop song that I've already heard before. Or yeah. like, yeah, it it's was amazing. It's so good. Go check it out, guys. Just if you want some cool, chill, awesome music. Ah, oh, man, it's so good. Oh. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to our show. Hannah, thanks for showing up again. I do it every other week. Yeah, you do. <laughs> On time. All right. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye.